Hey, what's going on? Gwen. Hello, how are you? Get dressed. Hey, I don't know what's going on. What's here. going on is you're supposed to be guarding the boss's daughter, not screwing her. Oh, I didn't sleep with her. No. No. I mean, yes, I slept with her many times, but. Timmy! Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Joe Knows Podcast. I'm Darren, your host. On this episode 23, the Marones DeVille. Apple record quarter and some. Apple privacy update. Xiaomi air charging and Robinhood app news. In the film and TV segment, review of Apple TV's Ted Lasso, Godzilla vs. Kong, release date. Justice League Snyder Cut. Disney Plus, WandaVision, and Marvel Team Battle. Last in the shift segment, video games takes a break. And an unusual battle of YYC bands with Dave. I hope you listeners enjoy this episode 23, Joe Knows. And it just works. And it just worked. It just works seamlessly. All right, now the tech segment of the Joe Knows podcast. Well, Apple recorded their latest quarter one financials, which actually was started in October of 2020 and ended most recently in December 2020. Huge numbers. No surprise. This is always Apple's busiest quarter. It's actually their first ever $100 billion in revenue quarter. Actually, $111.4 billion in the last three months to be exact. Their cash on hand now is a paltry $196 billion. Double-digit growth across all product lines. What else? Some of the highlights of this quarter announcement was they hit a new high water mark for installed devices at $1.6 billion for iOS devices. Out of that, $1 billion are iPhones alone. That 17% growth in the iPhone um, year over year with the iPhone 12 driving the demand. What else do we have here? It looks like services also all-time high with 600 million paid subscribers using one of the many Apple services. The revenue for the services hit in record $15.8 billion. Congrats, Cook. SJ is looking down proudly. Thank you. Wow. Other Apple news is their new privacy update is now set to launch sometime in early, I think they said early spring of this year, called App Tracking Transparency. This feature will lay out exactly how each app harvests your data when using your iPhone and the apps you download. This will be huge news for this 2020 year, sorry, 2021 year, as Facebook's actually set to fight Apple in the courts. As Facebook has been arguing since Apple introduced this feature last June, and actually Apple was supposed to roll out this feature in September, but delayed it now till almost a full 10 months to allow businesses like Facebook to adjust their uh, algorithms and all that, that Facebook's arguing that this will negatively affect small businesses that rely on ad tracking. Caring for the small businesses. Okay, Facebook. All right, let's move away now to the Chinese tech company, Xiaomi, has debuted what they call Mi Air Charge that can charge devices remotely with a standalone machine. What this is, is it has a miniaturized antenna array sending up to 5 watts to multiple devices without actually being plugged in, as long as you're within a radius of several meters, and it actually even penetrates physical 
obstacles. Now, this is pretty cool tech. And I hope it becomes mainstream sometime in the middle of this decade once it's perfected where you can just walk into a room in your house or even a business eventually where it this device will just start charging your uh, smartphone. Sweet. That is true wireless error charging. Lastly, Robinhood, the app that's been in the news lately, and the GameStop company in the U.S., uh, as you know, this Robinhood app is where a lot of small investors that are not, you know, users going with one of the big banks or investment companies can buy and trade stocks with literally zero or low fees and is now part of a huge news spreading Wall Street last week. What happened was there was billions of loss for traditional hedge fund companies. And you know what? In this day and age, it's pretty incredible to see how this app-based company started this big shift in kind of consumers using this app to make stock purchases. I'm not a stock expert, but it was quite the interesting week with uh, both sides uh, not happy with each other. But we'll see. I mean, this started out as a means for millennials using this Robinhood app to invest in stocks. That's it for the tech segment of the Joe Knows podcast. I just want you to know, Cap. It kind of feels personal. All right, on to the film and television segment of the Joe Knows Podcast, episode 23. Well, finished watching Apple TV's Ted Lasso. Quite the pleasant surprise comedy that was released last summer on Apple TV+. It's 10 episodes as the norm these days for streaming shows. And for comedy, runtime is usually about 22 to 25 minutes. The story, if you don't know, is about an American college football coach played by Jason Sudeikis getting hired to coach an English premier soccer team despite not having any experience. Of course, great cast with Hannah Weddington as Rebecca Welton, the owner of the club, and much more. I mean, Jason Sudeikis actually helped create the show, I believe, on SNL as well as a skit. Great humor, great drama, highly recommended, even to subscribe to Apple TV for one. Super cheap to rent, great. Season two was just greenlit, so I can't wait. Say 10,000 pounds? Well, as my doctor told me when I got addicted to fettuccine Alfredo, that's a little rich for my blood. All right, staying with Apple, they shelled out and reported $25 million to acquire the Sundance Festival's opening day sensation, Coda, marking the most expensive acquisition in Sundance history. The previous record was set last year when Neon and Hulu paid $22 million to acquire Palm Springs. Uh, so Coda, if you don't know, is written and directed by Sia Heder. It's uh, following a teenage girl named Ruby, who is the only hearing person in her family. All the other actors in her family are played by deaf actors, including Oscar winner Marlene Matlin, and dreams of becoming a singer. And the film was actually, according to EW, on their must-list watch for the year for indie films. I guess Apple's getting serious about some Oscar considerations here. All right, moving over to Warner. Warner's newest trailer for Godzilla was just plain old sick. Can't believe it. Finally, the two iconic creatures will be 
battling out March 31st in both theaters and HBO Max. When you have these two iconic creatures fighting over and over in the trailer, it's just ridiculous. I'm seeing it nonetheless. I mean, this could be the spring hit that Hollywood needs. Godzilla's out there and he's hurting people and we don't know why. There's something provoking him that we're not seeing here. I'm of the same opinion. The myths are real. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, move on to... Actually, no, sorry. I'm staying with HBO Max. Zack Snyder and Warner just announced Justice League Standard Cut set to drop on March 18th on the streaming service and will indeed be four hours long. New poster shows a much darker look and tone of the film. Can't wait to see what Snyder's cut is. And that four hours will probably take me at least two, three days to get over watching the entire movie in one sit. I won't lie. However, I mean, this guy's work's been mixed since he directed uh, Man of Steel and Batman vs. Superman. Fans and critics kind of are mixed on him, but I mean, come on. This guy did 300. This is where we hold them! This is where we fight! This is where they die! Remember this day, man. For it will be yours for all time. With only four episodes into the Disney Plus One division, the show finally looks to be turning the corner on what has been a slow build-up. Episode 4 was much more engaging. The reason Wanda and Vision live in this world is more explained. And finally, I'm also looking forward to Falcon Winter Soldier that comes out in March and Loki comes out in May. So it looks like Disney is starting to hit its stride with the Marvel division. Okay, I'm joined by Dave here now to talk about the battle of the Marvel teams. It's X-Men versus the Avengers, strictly using the films that were released. Hey everybody, hey Darren. Hey Dave. So I think we uh, this is just another recording here because of the previous anchor uh, issues have been resolved. Uh, so yeah, X Men. I guess we'll start off with X Men first. I mean, they came out in two thousand first before all the comic crazes taking over Hollywood. And great cast. Yeah, I mean, it's like even thinking back. Like, you kind of forget that they had all those great, you know, actors in the same movie, right? Like, I don't um, know. This was Hugh Jackman's debut for an American film. Yeah, I mean, well, I didn't really, I didn't know who he was. Yeah. But I mean, Patrick Stewart, Ian McKellen, Halle yep. Berry, like, those are pretty big names. And yep. like, I mean, I was like Famke Jansen too. She kind of had like a little bit of a underground cult kind of thing. And Not from James Bond, right? She was a Bond girl. Yeah, but even like, some of the other stuff she'd done in the past, right? Oh yeah, she's been. She always kind of played that, like a bad kind of seed kind of character. I always thought, but oh yeah, for sure. And then of course you have Anna Paquin as well, and um, yeah, it was just and James Martin. You can't forget with James Cyclops. Rebecca Romaine. And um, Rebecca Romaine. I don't, can we call her Stamos anymore? <laughs> no, she, she's not Stamos anymore. Yeah. Right. But I mean, Anna Pack when was she was coming off of was she Young Blood doing Young Blood? Uh, True Blood. Oh no, True Blood. This is actually before. This is before True Blood. Oh, was it? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, the vampire thing, right? Yeah, but she already won her Oscar too. So I mean, they were getting these kind of you know reputable actors that have some acting you know potential or uh, credentials, right? And uh, yeah, they launched it. I mean, I think the first two were probably 
of the X-Men's were probably more the solid choices, I think. Who are you? You know who I am. You're the man who puts me to sleep. We both could use some sleep. No! Oh, no! Oh! What are you doing to me? Charles. <laughs> yeah, I preferred the first two. I mean, I was excited for, you know, Jean Grey turning bad and becoming Dark Phoenix. I mean, spoiler alert. <laughs> Oops. Like that. Well, come on. I mean, the movie's 21 you, years old or 20. If you, well, if you understand the, the comics and who the characters are and, yeah. you know, who they become and their their origin stories, you know, it's kind of a spoiler on its own. But I mean, I, and then let's go to the, you call them reboots, but I guess it was at the time. And I think don't think they even knew that what they were doing at the time. But then they tied it back to the original where that's just them being young. You hired, you know, James McAvoy as Professor X and Michael Fassbender, who is fantastic, I thought, as, as um, Magneto. And mm-hmm. more or less, I mean, I don't think they knew what they were doing with X-Men First Class, tying it back with obviously when Days of Future Past came out. All of a sudden, this convergence of you know the old and the new kind of made sense. Kind of got a little better. Well, out of all the characters, I think Wolverine was. I've, I think you're probably more of a comic book reader than I am, but I think he was probably more the popular. I mean, I watched the X Men cartoon, but I thought he was still a really iconic character. Where Hugh Jackman just took over the character. Oh, yeah. I mean, the movie was, especially the very first one, I mean, you know. Stole the show. Well, the movie was really built around Hugh Jackman and the Wolverine character. Yeah. Um, But, but yeah, I I don't know. Like, I I refer to X-Men First Class as, like, a reboot. I know know it's not a reboot because obviously enough time had passed, right? But it's kind of more more like a reimagining, I guess. reimagining, yep. Yeah, because they kind of just... I don't know, I wanted to give it a, maybe a bit of a different feel or I guess kind of show an origin story for it. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, it's kind of weird though, right? Because in the original X-Men, the way Wolverine gets into the X-Men is different than the reimagined versions. Yeah. So, I mean, so the hard thing with comic books is because there's so many different varying storylines. Oh, for sure. And reimagination, um, like of each character, by you know different writers. So, I mean, I mean I th- which one do you, do do you, you hold follow, the, yeah. the true story or the origin story that you like? Yeah, I mean, I thought um, overall, I thought when he kind of went on his own, he did X Men. Uh, this is uh, Hugh Jackman, by the way. Uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine that was not really well liked by a lot of people because of how they presented Deadpool as well and um, just I didn't think it was that bad but I think when he did the Wolverine the one that takes place in Japan I thought that was well done and then closing it out with Logan I thought my god that was probably one of the best ground like grounded comics of all time. Okay, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, mm-hmm. obviously we got the well, the birth of Deadpool too, right? In yeah. the the Wolverine like spinoff. Yeah. So, which I I mean I I like the standalone Deadpool movies. You mm-hmm. obviously when once it became true to what Deadpool was, as opposed to you know the dark character that he was in the Wolverine. Yep. But um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well then, um, yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, I think it's got its fans. And now that Disney owns Fox studios who release most, if not all the X-Men movies, actually they released all of them. They own everything now for comics for the Marvel side now. Okay. And they already said they're going to green light a Deadpool three. That's rated R still going to keep it as is, but for them to have the ability to now add these characters to which we'll talk about now is the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but those characters, the Avengers. Yeah. That they can actually meet up. I know Hugh Jackman had talked about over the years, but wanting Wolverine to meet up with the Avengers and fight them. <laughs> it would have been freaking sweet. That'd be kind of interesting, yeah. But now, you know, he's aged, obviously, because, I mean, it's like 21 years ago he did X-Men, which is crazy <laughs> that Jackman's done it that long ago. And, um, yeah, I mean, we talked a bit about, obviously, you know, Iron Man in the last few podcasts back. But, I mean, that came out in 2008 with Favreau directing. And that was a make or break for Marvel for that movie because that was the first self-finance under the Marvel umbrella. He's my friend. So was I. (laughs) Stay down. Final warning. I could do this all day. If you didn't know that. No, no, I didn't. And yeah, they, they, so under the Marvel umbrella, because wasn't like one of the first um, comic book movies that they brought out um, kind of in the newer era. Was it not Wesley Snipes with Blade? Well, okay, so Wesley Snipes is Marvel, and that came out in uh, in the late... 90s so actually my bad you're right before x-men blade but like they, i don't it was never really part it wasn't part considered part of like their no. future vision right no but they are now because the marvel cinematic universe is in phases you know phase one phase two phase three the next phase four or five does include blade yeah which i assume they probably keep with a r rating as well they haven't announced yet, but uh, I mean, they have two-time Oscar winner Mahersha Ali playing him, so fine actor. Oh. Okay, but um, yeah, no, it's interesting that you mentioned. That. I totally, totally forget. I mean, Blade Two was probably one of the my favorite kind of like vampire type movies, and incredibly dark. It yeah. was very. It was Del Toro too. It was, like, it was like a horror movie, really. Yeah. Because Del Toro directed it too, so that's kind of his coming out. Where he did a few movies before that as well. well. I mean, I just remember the the first time you see the the vampires and their faces open up, right, and just like, <laughs> like what? wrap around the head or whatever. It's yeah. like, whoa! That's uh, that's like Del Toro too. I mean, that's classic. Uh, yeah, he's such a good director too. He should be doing some. St- oh, there's so many good directors out there that could have been doing Star Wars, but are not. But. Bring in their imagination 
to it, you know? Let's hope. Let's hope. Can only hope for the future. Yeah, you bet, man. Yeah, so 2008, and if this flop, Iron Man, say bye-bye to MCU, but obviously the same year they had the Hulk with Edward Norton come out, but obviously that didn't hit as well with audience, did Iron Man did. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, really, if you think the Avengers for the film portion struggled around Iron Man, Captain America, and Thor were like kind of like the three main heroes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, though, for sure. Like, when you think of those three guys, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's almost like the other characters aren't as interesting, but, I mean, it might also be because they don't really write a lot of material for them. Yeah, for sure. They don't build up the character or start build like, you know, up like background of the characters and kind of have more stories about them. I mean, they've had obviously two guardians, two ant-mans, two spider-mans, but I mean, everyone knows spider-man. So that's a given, mm-hmm. but the guardians one, I was not looking forward to watching the first guardians and. Oh, no? Yep. Huh. I'm surprised. I like, I just love movies about space. You throw some superheroes in space and. Oh. Kind of have a bit of a jokey edge to it. I mean, uh, you know what changed my mind on that one was someone cut a trailer for the first Avenger. I'm sorry for the first Guardians to uh, a New Hope. Oh, really? And then (laughs) that's the moment it clued in for me. I'm like, oh, I see what they're doing here. Okay, I'll give it a chance. And then I was, yeah, I still didn't have high expectations, but then I was really pleasantly surprised by it. Yeah, I thought I thought the Guardians just the concept is pretty damn good. Um, I mean, it has shortcomings and some of some of the writing choices and stuff, but I don't I don't think that's the fault of the actual material itself, like the the concept of Guardians of the Galaxy. It's more like who was writing the movie, especially number two. Yeah, it was the same guy. James Gunn did all of them, and uh, he's doing the third one. Not sure when they're shooting that yet, but. I mean, they did four Avenger movies. The first two was done by Joss Whedon, who had done, you know, got big with Buffy the Vampire Slayer initially. Isn't he also, Joss Whedon, did he like do some Star Trek stuff? No. Joss Whedon, no. no. He um, did Justice League. He helped write Justice League. And he's done a lot of comic stuff. I mean, in general, everyone was happy when they got him to do the Avengers, but then I think of the last two Avengers. I know we're going all over the map here, but the last two Avengers were done by the Russo brothers who first did the Captain America's uh, Winter Soldier, which I think as a standalone movie is probably top three for me for the Marvels, the MCU ones. Yeah, no, I enjoyed that. It was good. And they did that. And of course they did the Civil War. And then they did the, uh, they weren't supposed to do it, uh, the Avengers, like Infinity War. But then, because mm-hmm. he did so well, and I guess they just, Joss Whedon said he was burnt out, and he didn't like Disney telling him what to do and how to do his cut. But I mean, if you look at the first two Avengers movies to the last two Avengers movies, are quite different in the way, the tone of the movie and the, the look of the movie and stuff. Yeah. I think the last two are better, obviously, but... I think the last two are better, too. Um, but I still enjoyed the first oh, one. Oh, I still enjoy the first one. It's just a different feel to the first two. The first two almost felt kind of... I say campy, almost kind of like, you know, like I can't think of that word at the top of my head. I was like almost like, almost 
didn't have that adult look to it. I don't know if sure that makes any sense. Like the other ones kind of felt like it was more made for kids, where they got really right. good at the Avengers, to where it became more like for everyone, but not like just for kids. And at least it just felt more like kid the first two. Like you've managed to piss off every single one of them. That was the plan. Not a great plan. When they come, and they will, they'll come for you. I have an army. We have a Hulk. Yeah, okay. I, I could see see that. Like a lot more jokes, a lot more of that. It's like, I don't know, like too many jokes almost. It was like kind of like, you know, kids will like it because it's funny or I like it because I'm an immature adult or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I didn't notice that personally, but I, I guess it may be comes off a little more amateur than the last well, the one one thing I could point out specifically that was kind of like, oh really like when he um hulk shows up with loki and then he's like you know i am a whatever a god and he punches him like he just goes flying yeah i don't know why i thought for them like oh like it just seemed <laughs> it, it's, it's comical but it's kind of like i don't think I, I would see another director doing that except for joss in this movie but anyways i digress but what about uh, Black Panther? Did you enjoy that? I thought Black Panther was really good. Oh, it was... I liked the technology that he used that they harnessed and be able to build that into this character and the world they live in in Wakanda. Yeah, it seems a little, I mean, to me, a little far-fetched mm-hmm. that there's this magical place. It's completely <laughs> off the radar <laughs> from every other form of technology, but like nobody else is tried to walk through those trees or yeah, except like, for nobody like you know like no no kids are going on some adventure to play robin hood and like to walk through the force field or something like yeah you know whatever it just it just seems a little far-fetched because of where they're located i mean if they're gonna be invisible to everybody you, you'd think they'd be underground or like you know on the top of some mountain or yeah. something crazy but i hear um you. but yeah I, I did i watched it I don't even remember where we were coming back from, but I, we were flying back home from from a trip somewhere, and I watched it on a plane. Yeah. So, you know, obviously that doesn't really do it justice than as watching it on a big screen. But like even in that format, you know, it was it was pretty cool. Yeah. Did you? I think you you're a big fan of the Thor Ragnarok, right? I liked Ragnarok. Yeah, I thought that was but, uh, that was probably the best. I like I like Dark World too. Yeah, I like Dark World because they did a bit more stuff, you know, on Thor's home world and stuff, which was very interesting to me. Uh, which I wish the first one did, which didn't do as much. Yeah, to me, the first one was is was the boring one. It was like, oh, here's Thor. He's really strong, and we're going to in- introduce the hammer and all this. I don't know. It was just it was like a big long explanation of who he is and then i don't know obviously i i just got tired of watching it i guess <laughs> what about uh captain marvel that was no captain marvel was awesome yeah i thought that was you know for taking that long not like you know i think it's just that's where it was placed but i mean to have a female led character that i thought she did a great job brie larson and then just the time period was great as well like the 90s because of course we're 90s kids yeah you know growing up late 80s early 90s so i think Mm -hmm. it hit home for us yeah well i like i like the i don't know like i'm not a super nostalgic person but sometimes just when they they get it just right you know 
it just it just feels good. Do you think the uh, book ended uh, the series well? Well, the the so called initial first three phases with Infinity War, then with Endgame, was that get send off or were you I'm not, I'm not 100% happy with I guess the way Endgame finished up mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of loopholes but I mean they could obviously I mean just the whole idea of Captain America retires and then like his buddy Falcon. becomes Captain America yep. right it just it seems a bit weird yep. <laughs> but uh, no, I have nothing wrong with Anthony Mackie nothing wrong with Falcon it's just like oh, okay well he was this superhero and now he's that superhero. (laughs) But there was other things that made Captain America who he was because of like his righteousness and how good he, his good nature, whatever. Um, And uh, and it just seemed to, I know he he obviously wanted to step away and, you know, he supposedly went back in time and lived, lived the life he wanted to live. Peggy, of course. But, but at the same time, it's like he could have went back in time and, saved some people too right no he he's he done like enough you, you, don't, you don't really know no. that's what i mean i mean they, they left they, it open they, i guess where he could have done all that but there's the other thing too that that kind of confuses me or not confuses me but uh makes me think for how endgame finished up is like when dr strange had control of time mm-hmm. <laughs> like what if, or because he's an illusionist, what if the reality that they were all fighting in with, um, you know, obviously like, what's his face? Can you remember the bad Thanos. guy's name right now? Th- Thanos. Yeah, sorry. Thanks. So like, what if he created this imaginary little realm where they actually, he made it think that they did what they did, but he actually like took off with, you know all the goodies. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> and, you know he went. He went up, set up his own thing, and like what we saw was an illusion. Yeah. I don't know, man. There's like so many little loopholes that they could obviously spin into the next Avengers, or who knows what the next movie is. You know, other than Guardians of the Galaxy, with you know Thor and uh, what's his face Quill, kind of. I guess they're supposed to be off together yep, now right in their own little yeah like the guardians and thor people yeah i mean a little fact toy was with um kevin feige the producer that did all these he was a big fan of making sure a finale ends properly and one of his favorite finales if you can believe it was star trek the next generation's finale oh really and if you don't recall hmm. which i i know i recall it it was a brilliant finale. It was a time travel finale where they went through three different timelines. Yeah, I vaguely remember it, but it's so long ago now I'd have to rewatch it. But it's it. almost like the Avengers. Three different timelines. The past, the present, and the future. Right. It was just interesting that he said that was some of his inspiration for it. I was like, huh. That he told the <laughs> writers this is what he wanted, blah, blah, blah. So, I guess at the end of this battle, who would win? X-Men or the Avengers? There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. Well, I mean, for me, the Avengers, they're just, 
I mean, in the cinematic universe, they're just way more interesting. There's a lot more going on. And, you know, Marvel, you know, prior to, you know, becoming Disney, had done such a good job setting up all the connected storylines. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even when Disney took it on, they've carried it forward. X-Men, for me, I like the original three mostly. Mm-hmm. But then it just... There was no cohesion yeah, there for me. It wasn't like mapped out. Forward. That's why I always think of the original X Men as their own, and then kind of Logan on his own, like with the Wolverine character on his own. And those were fantastic yeah. movies on their own, but cohesively, no. Yeah, I mean, like, don't get me wrong, they were great, and especially for when they came yeah. out, um, blew me away. They're still very enjoyable. Yeah. I think that's two for two for the Avengers. Well, thanks, Dave. That does it for the film and TV segment of the Joe Knows podcast. Evacuate the city. Engage our defenses. And get this man a shield. Well, be... Video games take a break to make room for this unusual battle of local YYC bands, DeVille versus the Maroons. Dave, who are these bands? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, never heard of them. <laughs> wow, that's so interesting. I think we should start talking about, uh, I think we'll go with DeVille first. Um, yeah. Yeah, like... Um, I was kind of going through the stuff over the weekend and just even today listening to some of the uh, first two, well, the only two albums, of course, Pleasure to Burn, that was out in 2000. Um, yep. How long did it take you guys to record this album? Like, was it like uh, I would, 10, 10 days? And then was it the songs were over, what, six months? You guys had all these songs from that long ago? or? But, well, we, I mean... Uh, we used to get together and just like jam for fun prior to like writing our own stuff. But uh, I think we probably in 99, probably or, or even late 98, we got together and started writing material. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, probably mid 99, we when we really had stuff um, like his first album was 12 songs. Yeah. And um yeah, I think we had stuff ready probably just late summer, 99, and we we didn't even really know if that we were going to go out and record. We just said, you know, why not? Let's let's go out and get these recorded and decided we'd go out to Vancouver. And we recorded with uh, Blair Kalibaba, oh, yeah. who at the time was recording Gob. Yep. That's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, and it, it was pretty cool. We, we went out there and it was our first experience in like a big studio. Um, like old school kind of studio, right? The big soundboards and mixers and everything. And everything was like analog, not a lot of digital stuff going on. And um, yeah, it was pretty neat. Um, that's fantastic to hear that. I mean, I was just looking at the, kind of like the song list here, like the no- the notable songs for myself that I really enjoyed off this album would be Nothing, Saturdays, uh, Williams to be Scotto. That's the classic, right? Captain's in chains. 
Yeah, with the, even with the misspelling yep. and <laughs> the uh, superhero fast, and of course uh, Rye and Lake Water. Mm. I uh, thought overall, this everything about it just seemed really fresh and spontaneous, poppy punk, which is what I like myself. I mean, there's some little heavier stuff that I, that I thought that was on the album, but I mean, were you guys mm-hmm. were you happy with the outcome? I mean, obviously now. You know, so many years later. Yeah, I, uh, like looking back and you know where we were at the time, how, like I mean, I think I would have been what twenty years old, maybe. Yeah. What was it? Two thousand. So I would have been, I would have been twenty-one. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, I don't know. I was super, super pleased with it, and kind of blown away that we, you know, achieved what we did, and were able to record the songs so well um being completely clueless going into it but at the same time like looking back now i, I still do wish you know there's oh, there's always always going to be more you could do right and it really comes down to just have more experience so like in the studio yeah. setting well then that moves us over to a step from forever in 2003 three years later and I noticed a huge, you know, you know, improvement and just, you know, I thought, I know you're not a big fan of the sound that you guys got out from the album. I thought it sounded obviously like a cleaner record, like more polished and produced, but it felt heavier to me, like in general direction. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the music was a lot more technical. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and it got quite a bit heavier, um, a little less pop punk. Of a yeah, feel it felt to it. like a lot of it was like a mix of like strung out ish and like a harder edge to you know pleasure to burn and like my standouts for this album would be idle but deadly driven and a step from forever I just nice. thought overall it was just a heavier album. It felt more personal. Is that safe to say? Oh, one hundred percent. It's it was a darker album, and it was like a lot of the songs are basically about the things that we had gone through personally. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's I don't know. It's I guess in my opinion, it's my favorite material that we ever created but it's my least favorite recording because just the the quality of the production i i don't think was as good as the first album it came out like the guitars don't sound as good um the drums aren't that great the only thing that really sounds decent on it is maybe the singing mm-hmm. but like overall the music just it really suffered because we we went into the studio in calgary we figured we'd just do yeah. it here i think that was and, a mistake uh, or uh, it was a big mistake. It was just a big mistake who we picked for a producer. Um, he was a lot more concerned with, well, I mean, I don't want to, you know, put too much out there, but I concerned mean, about partying, most, right? Most, well, most of the money that we were giving him was going up his nose instead of into the recording. So, and he was doing a lot of that during recording sessions. 
so the production value suffered because After of it. you say that, you, you snivel your nose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. That's funny. Well, it's cold in my basement, yeah. dear. No, I, yeah, so then obviously there's a big gap here, obviously, from that you guys kind of played around for a bit, tour for a bit, but then when did you guys officially kind of disband the band? Oh six, oh five. I'd say oh seven, because uh, yeah, like we did that uh, little stint with the yep. Warp tour, and then we got because um, we released a single under the Fearless Records that we we recorded in Calgary um, at Sunday Sound Studios, and you know it was, a, it was a really great song. It was received really well, and we had a whole new album written after that too, which. You know, like we did the warp tour thing, just the Canadian dates, and uh, yeah, we kind of took a little time, did some writing in like '05, and we we had a third album pretty much fully recorded that we we self produced and self recorded um, at our jam space, which was uh, like our drummer's basement. Mm-hmm. We had a whole studio set up, um, Pro Tools and everything. It was it was great and. The recording actually sounds great. It's probably some of the best stuff we did, but uh, like our singer had lost his voice, so he wasn't able to sing on the album. So we basically have, you know, I think it was ten or eleven tracks. All the music has been recorded, and uh, there's only one track we could get through with mm-hmm. vocals. And we had, you know, we came to a point where we, uh, you know, we had some other singers come in and try to sing, and it just just wasn't the same right just didn't work so uh we kind of just we just benched the whole project and said you know maybe we'll come back to it one day but all i don't even know how much time's passed now right like yeah well then we're moving over to the maroons then when did that kind of take place like kind of forming i think maroons started in 2017 when like our singer rob he started a project he's been wanting to do for a while and then um you know the guys he was working with at the time you know they're i think they only played like one show and rob had about five or six songs written and uh yeah and then i just talked with rob and he was saying he was looking for a new guitar player to come in and then um i joined in about 2018 Mm -hmm. i think and then uh yeah, we kind of just worked on some stuff and wanted to get out playing some shows. And uh, yeah, kind of just kept building the band from there, bringing in new members and new members and trying to find the right guys. And then, um, yeah, once we kind of had, you know, the right team, so to speak, we went out and recorded our first EP in uh, 2019. Like, like the Hicks City Punk Rock? Rock? No, that one. That one we before. actually did in okay, the basement. That's why I thought I was looking at it and stuff yeah. when I was listening to it. I'm like, well, here, look at the year. I, I mean, it still had that sing along. Uh, was it Orinoco Flow? Oh, Orinoco Flow by Enya? Yeah. Good. I mean, you guys did a good catch. Sounds good. Then you guys had that uh, We Threw You Under the Bus because it's the best place for you. Yeah, which is, I don't know, I guess a little bit tongue in cheek or whatever, but. Um... Yeah, that was the the first EP we went and professionally recorded uh, with Casey Lewis um, from Belvedere. He uh, has 
runs Echo Base Studios in Calgary. So we went there to do that. And it's it turned out so good that we just figured, like, let's keep writing songs and keep, keep doing more. I love the name Echo Base. So he's paying royalties to uh, Disney, right? <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> but you know, even that album itself, that that's my kind of music. Straightforward, at least from what I hear when you guys played in shows in person, live, and obviously on the album, is... I correct me if I'm wrong or not, but it's to me it sounds like straightforward pop punk ish. Yeah, it's just well, it's yeah, the music's a little more. I guess the instruments are kind of downscaled; they're less technical, and it's more driven by the vocals. So you know, it's a little bit easier on everyone's ears who you know doesn't want to hear you know, ripping guitar solos or Iron Maiden riffs all over the place. Oh, you got that classic song on there, the BS song. I love that song. It's oh, yeah. calling you. That's your favorite? I think out of that album, yeah, that's probably my favorite one on that one. Heard you from afar and pick your number one. Made to break it to you, but your friends ain't that dumb. You tell a tale and you trust you want to push it. I think on the second, well, not really second album, third EP, all this music kind of different, you know, fragments, you know, EP, LP, all this stuff. I just still can't wrap my head around that kind of integration of (laughs) music like that. But uh, you have your Green Eyed Fools, Love Bucket at the Marriott. And of course, I think my favorite is still the Britney Sucks. Yeah, you like that? Hey, that's crazy. Yeah, I don't know. And even the album work is hilarious on both on like both that we threw under the bus and this one here as well. It's just yeah, great album work. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, yeah, it's just funny with the the Britney Sucks one because that that's the song I would think you wouldn't have liked. I don't know why it just felt like it was just too like repetitive or yeah, something. No, but... I, I really enjoy that one. And then I think uh, you know between these two bands, I would say "Pleasure to Burn" is still really raw and poppy, but I would myself would still prefer the maroon sound overall. It's super tight, clean, and I think it's better arranged. I'm not sure if that's it's a different way, I guess. Not like the same kind of music almost, but I just thought it's just overall just a better package sounding. Okay, yeah, no, that's that's cool. Um yeah, I mean obviously I love playing in both bands. Um uh yeah for me the Deville was a more technical kind of well we started as a pop punk kind of vibe and then obviously we became a lot more technical a little bit more aggressive and heavy and yeah the Maroons is it's got more of the um i don't know easier listening kind of radio playable stuff maybe i don't know i don't know how to phrase it but it's not like we're green day or something like that but um but yeah i think i think the average listener would probably prefer 
um, playing the Maroons in their, you know, on their playlists. Yeah, for sure. So I guess uh, that's your pick, right? Just kidding. <laughs> you, I think you love both bands just as equal, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I, I miss not getting to, you know, play live and do Deville mm-hmm. stuff. And, uh, when we did our reunion show back in 2018, that was, oh, that was, that was nice. Cool. I mean, I was selling your merchandise the whole time, but hey, you know, I can hear you guys. That's right. Yeah, man, we... <laughs> Everyone's got to be part exactly. of the team, right? And I was, me, me and Charlie coming coming from a wedding and stuff, so I was like still in my suit and tie and stuff. And people are like, "What are you doing here?" I'm like, "I'm the I'm the AR exactly. guy." Okay, guys. That's right. I'm the manager. What do you want? What do you want? More shirts? But yeah, I don't know. I mean, hopefully, you know, like I like playing music. Hopefully, I can keep doing it. And uh, we've got lots of stuff yeah. in the works, so we'll see. Oh, we're very good at so keep up the good work here, man. Thanks. All right, well, that does it for the Joe Knows Podcast, episode 23. Please subscribe if you haven't done so and share with your family and friends. You can follow me on Twitter, Knows Podcast, Instagram, and Joe Knows Dot Podcast, and Facebook, Joe Knows Podcast. Until next time, Joe out. Okay, there you go. That was weird. Are you, you got nope. a timer? Yeah, it's timer now. Freaking glitch. And because it was like super echoing on my side, I could like not even hear myself. I spent as much time uh, fixing the issues and spent or getting the program running as they did on that that logo. <laughs> <laughs> that logo, <laughs> it's like terrible. What is it like? It's like a sideways poop emoji or something. <laughs> what the hell, <laughs> it's brutal. Cool, man. Are you ready for the big local Calgary bad battle? Yeah, who are these guys again? I've never heard of them. Yeah, neither me either. (laughs) All right.